1: But
0: still, it's the right thing to do. So get options based on your needs with Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you
1: buy. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for the last episode of the year. Episode 82 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Digital Federal Credit Union, better known as DCU. And since their beginnings as a credit union for the employees of Digital Equipment Corporation back in 1979, DCU has never lost sight of its roots of being a not-for-profit financial cooperative owned by and operated by and for their members. And a lot of things can change in 40 years, but some things remain constant. Like DCU's unwavering commitment to provide exceptional service and to make a positive impact in the communities where their members live and work. No matter what their members' unique goals are, they're committed to helping them the only way they know how, the DCU way. And that consists of three simple philosophies that guide each and every DCU team member. People come first, do the right thing, and make a difference. And giving back is central to what they do. And I know this because DCU and I have been working together for close to two decades. I've seen their commitment, I've seen what they can do, and I'm so happy to have them as a sponsor of the Mistress Carrie podcast. Well, as the year winds down, it has been an unbelievable first full calendar year of the Mistress Carrie podcast. New episodes come out every Wednesday and we haven't missed a week since we launched, which means this week we are 82 weeks in a row. And what a way to finish up the year with a guy that I have known for a really long time and boring is not even in the dictionary when it comes to trying to describe him. I'm talking about the one and only Zach Wild. Zach is a legendary guitar player who has played with Ozzy, jumped up on stage with the Allman Brothers, made appearances on American Idol, was in the film Rockstar as the guitar player for the fictitious band Steel Dragon. He released an album with Pride and Glory, a couple of solo albums, and is of course the lead singer and lead guitar player for the Black Label Society. And in his copious amounts of free time is in a Black Sabbath cover band called Zack Sabbath. Recently, Black Label Society wrapped up a leg of a North American tour and they just released a new album called Doom Crew Incorporated. And I had a chance to catch up with Zach Wilde while he was home sitting in his kitchen. And of course he had a cup of coffee in his hand. Zach is one of my favorite people to interview and he is one of the best guitar players in the game. And he's always good for a laugh. So allow me to introduce you to Zach Wild. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast.
0: What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. The hair is so
1: lovely. Eyes.
0: Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, Down. you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl! Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie! What's up, this is Aaron from Stain, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody, this is Dave Grohl from the Food Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only...
1: Oh my God! It's the one and only Zach Wild. That's what I tell Barbara Ann all the time. She's standing right over there. She she knows it. How are you? It's so good to see you. Yes, I'm just
0: uh just pounding some Valhalla Java, and I'm just uh I'm doing my hang.
1: I uh, knew you were going to be having coffee, so I'm having mine with you.
0: Cheers, down. Cheers.
1: I uh was a little rough because I uh, was smiling with a black tooth grin last night.
0: Oh yes, so, for the uh, first time over there. Yes, celebrating his awesomeness.
1: That's right. So I had to have, uh, I had to do that last night, and then coffee with you this morning.
0: Oh, very good, very good.
1: How are you doing? I haven't seen you since WAF went off the air.
0: Wow, Oh we're, we're doing great. We got the new record out, the Doom Crew Inc. out. We did, uh, did a, we rolled for what do we do? Forty four shows and fifty nine days or whatever with the uh, the obituary gang and uh the prong gang so uh that was that was awesome all great people so it was a great time for sure so we're back now getting ready for uh getting ready for christmas
1: how um after all that time how was it for you being able to reconnect with your fans because your relationship with the black label fan base is a different kind of relationship than i think most artists have
0: yeah well we, we don't have fans we have fams so you know that's what i always refer to it as but uh no, it was, it was great. I mean, the, the, the show, we were rolling with the uh, Milwaukee chapter Berserkers when the whole thing, when the world shut down. I remember that was the last show we did. And then I, we were all just like, ah, we'll be back at it in probably a month, right? We're probably just going to go home and then we'll all be back. We'll be back out on the road. And then uh, when we were actually on stage, I'm looking over at the fellas and I'm going, wow, this was 23 months ago. You know, it was like little, little under two years ago. But it was just like it just seemed like we went home for a couple months, and now we're back at it. It didn't seem like two years ago.
1: I know, you know? it feels like like the aliens took a couple years of our lives that we didn't know were gone. It's yeah, so. I, I weird. don't remember. I
0: don't remember high school going by that fast. It was, <laughs> it was a little bit longer than that. More like molasses going uphill in January.
1: That had to have been the most time you've had off since you were in school.
0: Yes. And then Barbara Ann was just so happy. She was oh, just I'm sure. so, so in love and, you know, just rekindled our love. And then, you know, I would just be, she'd be doing dishes and I'd be kissing her in the back of her neck and then she'd go, get away from me. You're annoying me. And then, you know, Hendrix would say, our son Hendrix would go, but mom, that's what he does. He annoys. That's my superpower. Tell you got one of them.
1: <laughs> How was that forced domestication with you and the fam? Because they, they've got to be just used to you not being around a lot.
0: Well, yeah, it was definitely forced. For me, it was no problem. But for Barbra it was definitely forced. <laughs> <laughs> I force a lot of things out of you. Know, and I, I enjoy it thoroughly.
1: Did you like <laughs> being home for that long or did you go stir crazy? Yeah, it
0: was just like, you know, I told Barbara Ann, I said, you know, if if you've never slept with a professional dog walker, now's your chance. Uh, You know, uh, know, uh, so she started having an affair with the the professional dog walker for, uh, you know, for those two years we were home. And she was constantly smiling and glowing. So that's all that matters.
1: How important was it for you to have your guitar during all of that? Because I think everyone found, I mean, first of all, guitar sales went through the roof. But I think everyone found kind of a new hobby or a way to pass the time. And for you, you're never more than three feet away from a guitar anyway.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I, you know, I mean, my hobby became, you know, I would just fondle Barbara Ann. And I would just say, you know, I was like, wow, I'm going to play with this for a little while. But uh, no, I just, I, you know, for me, I just, whenever I get off the road, being home is the vacation you know what I mean? How like a lot of people are all, oh, we're going on vacation. We're going, no, me being home is my vacation. So, and I love being on the road too. So, I mean, you know, I'm blessed in that regard. So, I mean, I'm, I've i never been on the road where I was like, I can't wait to go home. I I don't do that. You know I mean? I, I love doing what we do. So, you know, I'm blessed that we get to, to play every night. So, but uh, no, when I was home, I love getting up and, you know, waking up in the morning, having some, Odin Force and then watching the sun come up, and then doing my usual routine, you know, whether it's walking the dogs, lifting weights, and jamming on the guitar, you know, playing the piano, whatever, whatever it is. So, you know, but I mean, but in between the, uh, that whole time we were down, we did the, uh, we did the box set, we did a couple videos in there, then we recorded the Doom Crew Inc. record. So it wasn't like, you know, so we were definitely, there was definitely stuff going on. So it, it wasn't the whole time just sitting around and everything like that. But usually, I mean, I just get my normal routine. It wasn't like I was just sitting around, you know.
1: Are you normally that annoying morning person that's up before the sun every day? And how do you manage that when you're on the road and you're up late on stage?
0: Well, It doesn't matter whether it's the morning or two in the morning or midnight or at three in the afternoon. It doesn't matter what time of the day it is. I'm annoying. So <laughs> what it is this? I don't That doesn't have to be the morning to be that annoying person. I'm just annoying at all times. Ask JD, ask Barbara Ann. It's just yeah, ask the kids. It's like well, my she,
1: husband's a morning person and it drives me crazy because I'm not.
0: Well, you know, I just uh no, no, she well I mean Reveille around here starts at about five in the morning. Five oh. thirty. Yeah, well, you know, Sabatini has school and everything like that. So, you know. And then Barb just constantly wants to kiss me, and she just I know loves me and just wants to touch me, and and I'm just like, will you please stop? You know, she's just like, I can't help myself. So you know, it's just it is what it is. It's it's you know, it's part of the perks. <laughs> it really does. It really is the truth. It's just like you know, they say, well, if you play guitar, you get chicks. And I guess it does work because Barb can't keep her hands off me. She's just it's I never get any sleep.
1: It's terrible. You started playing guitar at eight, so you didn't get into it for the chicks.
0: No, I got into it for the, um, I got into it for the Viagra and the steroids. You know what I mean. So that's the reason why I got into it. But I mean, the whole thing is, uh, no, I started playing when I was eight, but I didn't get serious with it until I was like fourteen. You know, that's when I was like, this is what I want to do with my life.
1: Do you still have your first guitar? Do you remember what it was?
0: Um. Yes, I still got a batch of them. I, you know. I still have my, my first Gibson I ever had, uh, Pelham Blue SG Firebrand. I got that. It's actually on the, the Vintage Guitar magazine I'm on this month. I, they, the gang over at Vintage Guitar uh, allowed me to grace the cover. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm holding that guitar. That's like my first Gibson. So I have that one. And then um, I had like an Electra too. So I, I, And I also had a uh, Fernandez Burgundy Mist uh, strap, which I, I still have as well. Yeah, you always got to have those guitars because it, that's where you did the, you know, there's a lot of magic in those guitars because that's where you did your learning and, and everything like that, without a doubt.
1: What was the first song that you remember playing well when you started learning and you were like, okay, I I might be a guitar player because I can play this?
0: I, I think it's just kind of like, you know, because I tell kids with video games, I said, you know, like practicing guitar, you know, you get to certain levels and then, you know, you get to a certain point point you're like, oh, I can't get past this thing. You know, you're almost there. And they're like, I got to watch out for this guy over here. When I, if I get him, I can get to the next level. So, you know, I think you ask any musician, there's made, definitely major breakthroughs when you, when you could play something by your favorite bands or your favorite artists or anything like that. Like I remember, I mean, obviously, you know, on the low E string where you could, I think with everybody, you could play Smoke on the Water, uh, Iron Man, or uh, another one Bites the Dust by Queen. Dun, 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 dun You know what I mean? So like you could just play it and, you know, and that's when Barbara Ann heard me play that, and she was completely mesmerized. And then <laughs> it's that point on, it's just, it's just been relentless. She just can't stop touching me. But, uh, but the whole thing is, uh, and that's why I just play Smoke on the Water, or I play Iron Man, she goes nuts. So, um, but, you know, but the thing is, I think the first chord song I ever learned was uh, was uh, Tangerine by Zeppelin. And, you know, like to, to play with the record. And then I remember when I could actually learn play the lick from Back in Black. That was like a major breakthrough. You know, like to actually play it with the record and, and have your to physically be able to do it. That, those were major breakthroughs. But, what was uh, the
1: music that was that was the soundtrack of your childhood? What was the music that you that you were gifted from? So I have a theory that you get gifted music by your parents, older siblings, the cool uncle. That's the soundtrack to your childhood. And then there's a song, an artist, an album that there's that line in the sand where you go, okay, now this is my music. This isn't something that was gifted to me. This was mine. So what was that music for you?
0: Early Lady Gaga, Justin <laughs> Bieber, stuff like that. But I mean, no, I mean, just the early stuff before they, you know, everybody says they sold out, but I mean, which I don't think they sold out. I think I think it's still great, but I just, you know, the early stuff was different. But I mean, but the whole thing is... uh no, I think it's just like with everybody else. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm 54 now. So it was just, you know, my buddy Scott had uh, the Smiths, the next door neighbors. They had 11 kids. And everybody always asked. They were like, oh, my God, were they Catholic? <laughs> and I go, yes, actually, they were. But they, <laughs> six boys and five girls. And Scott was the youngest. And I was buddies with Scott. And Scott was 11. We were 11 years old. His oldest brother, George Jr., was 44 years old. So that was the age gap. But I remember uh, the parties they used to have at that house, completely out of control. Like me and you were brother and sister. You have three kids. I have four kids. Our brother George has five kids. Our bro- one brother Dougie has two kids. You know, Jessica has three kids. So like the Christmas is over there, Thanksgiving's, Memorial Day, I mean any of the holidays over there, Easter, anything. The, the keg party blowouts in this house, I remember always hearing like Hotel California cranking over there because they would put the speakers up out of Scotty's window with his uh, turntable and it would just be, or they put on, what was back then, you know, where we were, I guess, uh, WPLJ, WMMR in Philadelphia and everything like that, with all the, you know, classic rock stations. So you would a bad company, the Allman Brothers, Skinner, Zeppelin, Sabbath. Queen, Stones, Beatles, you know, everything, all just classic rock. So, I mean, that was pretty much, you know, just a heavy dose of that. And I think, you know, I mean, that's what I still listen to. Right? You know, I think that's what everybody listens to. You know, the music you, you listen to when you were like 14 and everything like that when you were a teenager, you know. So, you know, just, I mean, I listen to all those records when I listen to Diary of a Madman. It just transports me right back to where I was when those records were going on.
1: I uh I watched the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction, and it was so awesome to see tribute proper tribute paid to to Randy Rhodes. I thought that was awesome.
0: Yeah, without that, I mean, well, we all knew Randy was Hall of Famer as soon as we heard the first record. But I mean, everybody just gets so bent out of shape with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I Just go, well we already know who's already in it. Yeah, I mean, like everybody I just mentioned, whether it's the Eagles, Bad Company, St. Rhodes, King Edward, Jimi Hendrix, I, you know, just all the guys I just mentioned, all the bands, we already know they're in. But you can't put them all in in the in, the, in one year because then we don't we can't have a party the next year. <laughs> so, I, I, Like everybody is all bent out of shape, like I can't believe so-and-so didn't get it. I go, you already know they're in. The, like, do we really need to know whether KISS is going to make it in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? <laughs> I,
1: mean,
0: well, I mean, it's just like they sold more merchandise on the last tour than ever. Maybe this will be the year. <laughs> <laughs> we, already know we already know they're in it. It's just a matter of like, yeah, they're going to have the guys in this year. It's like, oh, good for them. I, you know, it's just like you already know who's in it. You, you already know. You know, so, I mean, I wonder if Ozzy's going to make it as legendary lead singer. You know, (laughs) he's already in there. I mean, we already know this. It's just like, but we can't put everybody in in one year because then we don't have a reason to come back and have a party the next year.
1: Speaking of Ozzy, you've been talking a lot about this upcoming solo album. And, you know, it says a lot when you're playing rhythm on some of these tracks, he's been killing it these last couple records, bringing in heavy hitters. I mean, to hear Ozzy and Elton John on the last record, I was like, oh my God. And now everybody from Beck and Clapton and Iommi and obviously you being on, I mean, this is massive.
0: No, it was definitely cool. I mean, you know, if you were to told the 14-year-old me in Jackson, New Jersey, in my parents' house, in in my bedroom, that I'd be on a record with Jeff Beck, Tony Iommi, and Eric Clapton, and the boss, I mean... No, I would have never, never believed it. But I mean, the
1: Smiths would have never believed you at those keg parties.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? No one would have believed it. But uh, it was just, uh, it was definitely, it's awesome. I mean, I'm really, you know, I'm happy with the way the thing came out. It's it's definitely cool.
1: So, how is this going to work? Because Doom Crew Inc. just came out for you. And you, you know, once we get through the holidays, how are you going to balance? The upcoming Aussie schedule, because we know a record's coming out, so we know that a tour is eminent, and then you've got touring to do. What what does 2022 look like for you right now? It's got to be a mess.
0: As far as the boss goes, I mean, you know, we got to get him, you know, his powerlifting numbers back up to Aussie's world-shattering standards and his bench, his deadlift, and his squat, so we can get back on the lifting platform and get back out on stage. So, no, I mean, with Aussie, he's, he's doing his – uh. All well, his rehab and everything like that, and working out all the time, you know, just so uh, after he banged himself up. But I mean, uh, you know, then we'll take it from there, and uh, you know, and then we were getting ready to go to Europe or whatever, and then you know, obviously, COVID things going on, and then then Father Richie ended up having a heart attack or whatever, you know. So I made it just like I mean, God, he's okay. So I mean, it's just that like- video
1: he put up of him just playing. And seeing how healthy he is. I mean.
0: I mean, like we FaceTime Richie not too long ago when we were actually out on the road. So we just, you know, checked in on him and everything like that. So, but yeah, Richie's doing great. So, I mean, you know, but the whole thing is we're all scheduled to go over there, Priest and Ozzy to do this tour. And then, you know, Ozzy banged himself up and Richie got, you know, had the heart, heart issues. And then it's just like crazy. So, and then COVID. So, you know, you know, when it's ready to go, then, then we roll when everyone's ready, then you roll. But I mean, for me, it's just, uh, until then we'll just be doing, you know, black label and then torn behind doom crew incorporated.
1: It, um, it's definitely something, and you've had your own health scares over the years that especially with COVID, you realize that health is something that when we have it, you take it so for granted. And then when you are not healthy, you realize how grateful you should have been for all that time you were.
0: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, you know, I mean, I never, I'm just, you know, I don't need to go to jail for eight years to realize how good it is not being in jail. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always thankful for everything I have. Every day I wake up, I I thank the good Lord. I'm like, this is amazing. I'm here. So, you know, no, I mean, yeah, no, but I, I, I agree. I mean, it's not that, I don't think you'd take it for granted. It's just that, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm talking even just down to like, you know, breaking your ankle or something like that. You know, you don't realize what a, you know, just what a pain in the ass it is or whether you get sick or whatever, you know what I mean? So it's just, um, yeah, it, I, I agree with you. There.
1: I want to talk to you about guitar tone because I've been fortunate over the last couple of years to be able to have these amazing long in-depth conversations. And I talked to a lot of guitar players. Where do you attribute your tone coming from? Because you have that signature Zach wild sound. Well, I I think,
0: I think with all players, you know, whether it's Tony Iommi or Eric Clapton or Jeff Beck or Jimmy page or, or Randy or Eddie or, you know, all, all the guys we're talking about, it just, the sound Keith Richards, the sound you can plug them all into the same guitar, same amp. They're all gonna have their own touch. It's like when I'm out rolling with Ingbe, Tosin, Nuno, and Father Steve. That sound check, like the, all they have to do is pick it up and play like two notes, and I know exactly who's who. Now you get an A chord, and I, I know whether it's Nuno or Ingbe or, or or Tosin or Steve. I just you just know, but because uh, it's all in your hands and you're playing. So, but I think. Without a doubt, I mean, I think with, uh, you, you know, all great players, you, you put them on anything, they're gonna it'll be fine. But I mean, definitely, certain things attribute to your tone. I mean, you know, to the ingredients in the soup. I mean, whether it's a, whether it's a guitar, whether it's you know, whether you're playing a guitar with humbuckers or single coil pickups, it's gonna be a different tone. So, uh, you have that, and then especially with the amps. And, and pickups, uh, I think, definitely has, you know, even down to tubes. I remember, you know, like, you know, with uh, I remember one of my marshals got got lumped up in the truck or whatever, and I remember we had to get it fixed for a show. And then uh, the amp place said they had EL34s is the classic tube that you put in a Marshall. And I remember that all they had was like 65, 50 groove tubes. That's all they had in the place. So they put them in. Oh, I remember at Soundcheck, I was like, wow, what, what are the – what do they do to the amp? It's different because the amp sounded thicker, fuller. And I, I mean, I was just like, wow. And it was just like, no, all they had was these 6550 tubes, these groove tubes. So I remember that's a huge difference, too. So And then I, you know, up at the Vatican, I remember I took the same amp and we put all different power tubes in there. And the difference was, without a doubt, noticeable. Yeah. I mean, you can definitely tell, like, you know, you think all cheeseburgers are the same, but I mean, it's just like going to Burger King. Same thing, a double cheeseburger, Burger King, McDonald's, Wendy's, Five Guys, in and out and Carl's Jr. And you eat any one of those same thing, double, it's just a plain double cheeseburger. They all taste different. And it's, a, it's just a plain double cheeseburger. So it's just a matter of what you like, what you like. You know what I mean? So
1: Nuno, it's it's funny you bring I mean, him up because Nuno was the guy that got me in on this whole thing because he talked about picking going to Van Halen's rehearsal and he was like, I played through Eddie's guitar cable, strings, amp, whatever, and I was so mad that I still sounded like Nuno.
0: <laughs> nah, nah. I mean, me, me Nuno talked about that. I, I go, but I, I have a theory that. Ed was just definitely punking people too, because he would go, turn the distortion off when when, you know, when Bruno picks up the guitar, turn the gain off the amp. So you know I mean? He goes, Here, play for it. And it's just like, Man, how do you play this, man? That's no gain. And then when Ed would get back on it, I'll turn the gain back up. So it's <laughs> like shredding. it's like, Where'd all that gain come from? But yeah, I, I think Ed was punking people for sure, just having a good time with it. But uh, no, but it is the truth that everybody you know, everybody has their own touch and their own, whether whether it's more aggressive or lighter or whatever. You know, so, I mean, that's the beautiful thing about the instrument. Everybody has their own voice, you know, so it's great.
1: I was shocked when I talked to Nuno that he didn't know how to read music. And so I've been talking to musicians about, I just always assumed you guys always could. I, I It didn't dawn on me that, that you would be writing the amount of music that you would be writing and not I'm writing beautiful. The
0: Beatles didn't know how to how to write music, and they didn't know. And Beatles had even trouble playing their instruments. I mean, you know, like playing bar chords and everything like that. So, I mean, but it's it's you know, it's their imagination and and as writers and what you're hearing and stuff like that. You know, whereas I'm sure like you know, let's say something that George Harrison wrote. And it was like something in the way she moves, and it's like those chords. And he said, George, that's a seventh chord. But he would probably go, I have no idea what that is, but I just love the sound of it. You know what I mean? And it's just so, and the same thing with Jimi Hendrix. So A lot of times when he's doing like diminished things, I guarantee if you said Jimmy, it's like, oh, it's cool doing a diminished thing. He's like, I have no idea. Is that what it's called? Because I, I just like the sound of it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, there's a lot of musicians that don't, you know, that don't know theory or or even like you know the technical terms and names of scales, you know what I mean. So, but at the end of the day, you know it's just it's your imagination and you, and your writing that that it, that is the, the key to unlock. Because you could, you could learn all the theory you want, you know what I mean, and, and and music theory and writing and you know I mean reading and everything like that. It depends on how you want to apply yourself, you know what I mean. So, I mean, if you just want to play standard rock and everything like that and just chords or whatever, it's just like, like if you told, you know, Kurt Cobain, it was just like, Kurt, let me show you how to play Eruption or whatever. You know, Zach, I, that's like amazing that, you know, that people could do it or, you know, Eddie wrote that and it's just, it's mind blowing. But I mean, like it it doesn't, it, it doesn't serve any purpose for me because I'm not, it doesn't move me and I'm not interested in it. I just want to know, I want to write songs. You know what I mean? So like, Kurt would just be fine with bar chords. He's like, this is all I need, man. You know, just give me some bar chords and I'm going to write melodies over this stuff. That's all for what I what I, I want to achieve. This is all I need.
1: Can you, you know, give so- me, can you give me an example of something maybe off the new record? Because I, I I've watched warm. you warm up play. Can you, can you talk to me about where a riff idea comes from and then how it ends up being the riff in the song?
0: Well, I just, I just turn, you know, I'll take like a Lady Gaga album, put it on backwards, get all the satanic messages from it <laughs> and learn the riffs and then convert them back and then convert back to, you know, and then convert back to Catholicism. And then it's quite the process, but that's how you come up with a lot of these riffs. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's all for the art anyways, but, uh, you know, no, I, like you said, once again, I, I think it's just your imagination or what you get inspired by. You know, I mean, you could you could hear on the radio knocking on Heaven's Door by Bob Dylan and to get home and sit on your acoustic guitar and then write Free Falling. You know what I mean? And and it's just like but the spark that inspired you was like you wanted to write something with simple with three chords. And then you wrote, dan dang, 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 dang. You ended up writing, Tom Petty wrote Free Falling. It was just like, wow. And he's like, yeah, I heard like knocking on heaven's door and I was just like, I wanted to write something with just like three chords. Let me see if I could write something with just a three chord song. And I, I was like, wow, if you wouldn't have told me where you got that idea from, I would have never known. You know what I mean? So uh,
1: like Jerry Cantrell told me that sometimes he'll get a riff idea in his head and he'll sing it into the thing in his phone so he doesn't forget it. Like what what do you do when you get an idea? Do you have a tape recorder or some kind of digital recorder hooked up to your guitar yeah, well, when I you're mean, noodling?
0: Or just put it on your phone. You know what I mean? You just, you know, just record it and then put it on your phone. You know, like back when you had a little Panasonic tape recorder, you could sing a riff or something like that. But uh yeah. I mean, and the majority of the time, like when I'm getting ready to we're getting ready to write a record, like you and Crew Inc. or something like that. I'll go out in the gym, I amp out there, and I just sit with it every day. with a cup of Odin Force, and I just start writing. And, um, you know, until you get something you're, something you're happy with, whether it's Set You Free or the, the you know, uh, End of Days or whatever, you know, like the two songs that we put out. So, I mean, the End of Days thing came when I, we were just testing amplifiers, and I ended up writing that riff. So I was just like, all right, well, let me... And usually when I write, though, I mean, I I write from beginning, middle, end. I I don't have bits and pieces laying around all over the place. Once I start writing, I'll I'll finish the whole thing, you know. And then it's then it's done. And then, you know, for me, it's always the music's first. Then I'll come up with a melody, and then then I'll figure out what I want to sing it about, and then I'll write the lyrics last.
1: So you don't have books of lyrics that you just kind of save. You don't have little riffs laying around on a tape recorder somewhere. You once you get started on a song. That's, yeah. that's the project.
0: Totally. Yeah, I'll finish it in one sit. But I mean, uh, yeah. And then like, well, after we got done doing the record, I'm done for a little while. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't sit around writing. So, you know, like on the last album, we recorded like 30 songs. So, and then we whittled it down to, you know, you know we were going to just put 10 on the record, but I was like, I, you know what, the other two, I'm, I'm really psyched with the way they came out so put the other two on there. So we had 12 of them on there, but, uh, but yeah. And I, I wrote, lyrics for 12 songs. I didn't write lyrics for 30 songs. Oh, that's that.
1: Um, I started asking this question because you've known me a long time. I am not a musician and not a songwriter, but I'm fascinated by the process and I can't wait to hear your answer as a songwriter. So this is a songwriter's question. As a songwriter, can you give me an example of a song or two that to you are examples of perfectly crafted songs. Songs that are so well put together you covet them and wish you wrote them, but explain why it is that you think they're perfect examples of songwriting.
0: I don't know. I mean there's there's you know different processes of that. I mean like you, you also have the simplicity of something like knocking on heaven's door where it's three three chords all along the watchtower is three chords repetitive chords and it sounds great. You know what I mean? Then you have certain songs. I mean, you know, Wild Horses is amazing. Uh, Heart of Gold by Neil Young. And then, you know, but then Smoke on the Water. You know, just the simplicity of it. You know, it's just a riff and, the, you know, and that's that. But then, you know, I love I love Mahavishnu Orchestra and all the, the fusion stuff as well. So there's, there's an art to that as well. So, I mean, it's just, um, I don't know. You know, I mean, it's just like it, it, songs it's not like bench pressing or anything like that, you know, where you have a clear cut winner. I mean, it's just like father vibe, father Stevie. He said it best. He goes, Zach, there is no such thing as best. It's what's your favorite. It's like saying, what's your favorite black Sabbath album? What's your favorite Led Zeppelin album? It's like, kind of like, it's not what's the best Led Zeppelin record. If you're going to say that, well, then I guess it would be Led Zeppelin four because it sold the most or whatever. But I mean, and the production and everything like that. So, I mean, But it's like, what album moves you? You know, I mean, somebody might say, uh, to me, Presence is the best album. I just love it because it's a dark horse album and I just love that record. And I have great memories attached to that record. So somebody might say that, you know, just ask, maybe ask 10 people and say, what's your favorite Ozzy Sabbath record? I guarantee we'll get all different answers. You know what I mean? So it's not, it's not what's the best. It's what's your, what's your favorite.
1: That's how we signed off WAF, by the way. The last song we ever played was Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath. We wanted to inject as much Satan into those airwaves as we could.
0: Frightening. That's just frightening. I'm going to have to go say a couple prayers right now.
1: (laughs) Zach, it was so good to see you. Thanks for hanging out. We finished our coffee. Yes. It was good to see you.
0: My brand didn't yell at me. It's very good. Great seeing you, doll.
1: (laughs) I'll see you soon. (laughs) Take it easy. Bye. There he is, the one and only Zach Wild. Black Label Society picks up their touring in May with an appearance at the Welcome to Rockville Festival in Daytona. And if you want more details on Zach and Black Label Society, all of the links are in the show notes of this podcast. You'll also find all of my links as well and the link to the corresponding playlist. There's a playlist for every episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast and it is filled with Black Label Society music, Aussie music, and songs from all of the artists that we talked about in this interview. And if you liked what you heard, don't forget to hit follow and subscribe to the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday, and every weekday, you get the sit rep. All of your rock news, music headlines, and industry info in less than five minutes. Plus, you never know when a bonus episode is coming out. We had a lot of those this year. And if you head to mistresscarry.com, you can check out the online store. It's filled with awesome Mistress Carry merch like t-shirts, hoodies, beanies, beer koozies, pint glasses, and the all-important coffee mug. Join me every Tuesday night live on my Facebook page at 830 Eastern for Cocktails in the War Room, the Mistress Carry podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network.